Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Steve Ellis. Steve is the CEO of St. Petrox, a charity that helps the homeless in Cornwall and aims to eliminate street homelessness entirely across the country. Steve, very warm welcome. Welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Scott. It's a real pleasure having you, Steve. Now, the purpose of this discussion is to really understand your take on leadership as a whole. So if we dive straight in and just look at that word leader on its own for a moment, what does that word actually mean to you and how does it resonate overall? Well, I've tried to give this some thought um, and I'm not actually in the first flush of my career um, and I suspect that leader might mean different things at different parts of your career. Um, but I certainly think that leadership is about ensuring that um, whether, no matter what company you operate with or in what format you're leading, it's really important that there has to be some kind of personal integrity about who you are and how you conduct yourself. Um, and I think it's equally important that you know your subject. And know your people, and if you do, if you do have those things, um, and you have the emotional intelligence around um, knowing your people and knowing your subject, then leadership is about empowering everybody else to be the best they can possibly be in whatever role that they have. If everybody's the best that they can be in their role, then it's making you know you then just have to direct and make sure that people move in the right direction at any one time. I think there's huge merit in what you said there, Steve, in the sense that it's about empowering people to almost take on their own form of leadership and be able to sort of bloom for themselves um, in a way. It's not about just sort of constantly being over one's shoulder, is it? It's about sort of giving them a little bit of direction when needed, but allowing them to maybe even sort of make their own mistakes, have their own setbacks and embrace that as a learning opportunity and have that experience. Because without sort of that experience, we're not going to learn, are we? We're not supposed to be just directed constantly. We need to sort of take on a little bit of independence. I mean, if I if I look at my own working life, I probably learnt more from failure would be too strong a word, but perhaps things that didn't work out as well as you may have anticipated or hoped for. Um, and you know, as as leader, you, if you understand what the aims of your business is or what the aims of your company is, it's to enable other people to be able to do their jobs efficiently and effectively. And if that's through empowerment, then that's that's what you would do. And if people do make errors or mistakes or things don't work out as well as you may like, well, it's also part of the leader's role to understand why that is. Is there a requirement for more training? Is this, you know, have they not been briefed properly? Do they not have the right equipment to do what they need to do? All of those things come into play. And as a leader, it would be your job to try and eliminate them in the first place, but if something crops up that was unexpected, it would be your job to make sure that they don't lose confidence and are able to, you know, recover whatever position it is that you would like to. So leaders need to have a certain sense of resolve um, to get the job done. They also have to have a determination to carry that out. But it is about um, the emotional intelligence of knowing your people and getting them to do the best job they can possibly do. 
Mm. And there's a degree of people management that comes into that um, as well, isn't there? Because no one leadership approach is going to work to empower every single personality. Some don't necessarily need as much motivation as others, and some need motivating in different ways to other people as well. So that's also an important facet of leadership that we have to consider. And it's especially relevant in the here and now, isn't it, with COVID-19, when mental health and well-being is very much a real focus on the agenda at the moment. It is that that um, I mean, COVID has just changed the dynamic of so many elements of I think you know everybody within the country, everybody internationally, it's had such a, a, a dramatic effect. Um, and it, it, uh, one of the things that we found is is that the, the values of your work, you know, the values of how you see people, the understanding about not everybody will react the same way, not everybody will be able to work in in the same way. Uh, has become really important. So, you know, leadership is about ensuring that you maintain, you know, an, an equality for everybody, and that's your customer as well as your uh, your, your customer clients or indeed your your uh, employees, and making sure that the methods are understood and that they are suitable in those current circumstances. And I think if you're able to um, manage in that way. That uh, you would be in a better position to help manage people's, you know, personal uh, difficulties in terms of their well-being, their mental health, and also their ability to carry out their their duties in what are, in some instances, incredibly difficult circumstances. So, uh, and of course, that helps if people are empowered and that they feel confident that all the new regulations that came in with COVID that they are explained to them, they are able to understand them, and then actually, you know, be able to deliver their service provision within all of those guidelines. And leadership is about making sure that people are, I'm not going to use the word comfortable because none of us have felt comfortable during COVID, but secure that what you're doing is the right thing to do Mm. within the guidelines and the right things to do in terms of personal safety and safety of all those people who you're in and around. And do you think that the team at St. Petrox has taken to this challenge well? The reason I ask that question is because um, we've heard some incredible stories from the front line and elsewhere during this time of people who've really gone above and beyond. And I can imagine in your line of work, you've probably seen similar things yourself as well. They have done. I mean, I'm really fortunate that I work with and for some remarkable people. Um, and we, at the start of COVID, we were just the same as everybody else in as much as this was a completely new phenomenon. Nobody was quite sure about how we were going to be impacted upon it. It was really vital that we understood the government guidelines as quickly as they were uh, issued. And then it was our role, you know, or my role as leader to investigate what those, um, what those protocols and guidelines were. And then we look to our service provision and, you know, make sure that we were innovative enough that we could stay open and still be providing our services, even if it wasn't in exactly the same way. So we, we needed to ensure that we could rethink or replan or in some instances even reboot. And it was really important that all of the staff and indeed the client group understood all of these changes were going to be for in their in their particular interests to make sure that they remain safe, to maintain at all times that all, there's a risk no matter who or where you are in dealing with COVID and it's important that those risks are managed.
Um, so part of the role of the leader is to understand the risks, manage them, and to keep making sure that if the risks change in any way, that you are able to, again, innovate around how your service provision and your staff may need to operate. So um, the morale of the people I've been fortunate enough to work with, um, they are by nature very committed. They are by nature have an absolute determination to provide services to their clients. Mm. Um, It has been a case of just making sure that all the boundaries and guidelines are in place Everyone understands them. Everyone understands why they're there. And then, and then making sure that they're able to work within them. And if we can do all of those things, then your leadership role becomes much easier because um, if they're able to feed back or, or if we recognize that there are difficulties, we can change what we're doing or replan or reboot it. So it, it's... A, a, I do, I do feel is that if if your workforce are empowered, and you also respect the fact that they might have ideas or suggestions, and they're listened to, then I'm pretty certain you're going to end up getting a service provision, um, of which is well within all the guidelines, but also will offer the best possible solutions to the problems that you find. Mm, I think there's a great deal to uh, to take away from that, uh, Steve, uh, for sure. And even though it's been a very difficult and a very tragic time, this, um, there are positives to take away from the experience of crisis management for today's leaders in that it will empower them, it will make them more resilient. And um, in terms of this current crisis, um, do you think that there is anything that you yourself have taken away and learned from this experience? Well, I, I, I would say is just that um, I, I, like everybody, was concerned about, you know, would we be able to stay open and would we be able to do, because our service is a personal service. So, you know, we're dealing with people um, and we're dealing with people who, in, in, in the instance of our client group, had nowhere else to go. So um, we were, we've been able to ensure that our personal service has been maintained and that's because um, the, the workforce uh, have been absolutely committed to um, making sure that the work that they do can continue, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic. So um, what have I learned from it? Um, I'm slightly more patient than perhaps I might have been several months ago, but I've, I, I understand very, very clearly that um, if you are to deal with circumstances like a pandemic, then you have to make sure that you t- trust the you know the, the integrity of all the people around you, and you give them the if you give them the roots and the abilities to still be able to make decisions and have a support network around those decisions that they make, then you're going to be able to work in however the difficult uh, the circumstances are. And um, I, I feel very blessed that I've had trustees who've been trusting, concerned, and at the same time empowering, and work for an organization which is progressive. Um, making do uh, isn't going to be good enough. And if you're going to work through a pandemic, you've really got to work in a slightly different way uh, maybe to just get the same outcome. But if people are are encouraged 
to think in a positive way and they're encouraged to be part of this, the decision-making process, um, then you know, we found that they will be able to, to deliver top-class services in incredibly difficult circumstances. And as well as having the experience of managing this crisis, uh, Steve, you've um, had so many years' experience working within uh, local government before to deliver homelessness and housing support initiatives, including urban regeneration programmes. And you've also worked in the private sector as well prior to joining St. Patrocks and carrying out some incredible work there. But based upon all of that experience that you've accumulated over the years, if you were to give some definitive advice to somebody who was about to start their first day in a leadership role, what advice would you give them? I think that I, I would say personal integrity about how you conduct yourself and about how you go about your work. And if you have a personal integrity, uh, you will then you can then learn the emotional intelligence of how to deliver your service or your role. Um, and that's the, the the best starting point, really. If you don't have a personal integrity, it's going to be difficult to lead anybody. And if we now think about the future and what that might hold for yourself and for St. Patrox, over the next year, what do you envision for yourself and for the charity? And what do you really hope to achieve as we hopefully move through COVID-19, emerge from the other side and begin to look to sort of day-to-day um, provisions um, under the new normal? Well, I, I, I mean, you know, COVID has had an impact upon the numbers of people who we work with and other other resulting issues that will come from COVID, which might be greater unemployment or we might have a downturn in the economy, and that would affect homelessness. Um, but I, I would want to take the, the the pluses out of this, you know, and look for um, those things that have served us well in this particularly difficult time. Uh, you know, for me personally, it would be a case of, uh, understanding that um, the security and the um, the uh, ability to make sure that people are well catered for as a, as an employee um, that would be at the forefront of my thinking. And, and in terms of the services that we provide, and in terms of the delivery of services, it's to understand that going back to what we did before COVID won't be good enough. Um, I think as all leaders, we need to have some degree of ambition of making sure that our services are better, they're more efficient, and they're much more relevant for not necessarily 2020, but for 2021 and beyond. It's, you know, just because you did it that way for 10 years and it worked relatively well doesn't mean to say that that's the best way forward. We should be looking to innovate and we should be looking to make sure that all of the work that we do is far more relevant in the future than what it currently is today. And I think um, you're absolutely right, Steve. There's an incredible um, and important messages to really take away from that. And, you know, I think given how informative and insightful it's been having you on the programme uh, to discuss these issues um, this morning has been, it would be great to actually, um, over the next few months actually have you back on the uh, the program just to catch up on how St. Petrox is getting on operating under the new normal and maybe discuss what's exactly changed if anything in the uh, the time between as well. That would be an absolute pleasure. I mean one of the things which um, the Leaders Council does is 
it does make you think about how you operate, mm. and it does make you think about what's the best way to, you know, serve my community and to serve those people whom you're working with. So I'd be thrilled a bit to come back and speak to you. I think that would be uh, fantastic, not just uh, for myself, Steve, but also from a listener's perspective as well. It's a shame we are just about out of time on the programme um, already because we could discuss this long into the afternoon, I'm sure. sure. Um, but given how much of a pleasure um, it's been having you join us, um, I would be thrilled to have you back on again, as I say, in the next few months. But in the meantime, until we do touch base again, I'm sure, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on because even as lockdown restrictions are continuing to ease, we're certainly not out of the woods with covid 19 yet and there's plenty of time for things to change one way or the other thank you that was steve ellis speaking the ceo of saint petrox coming up next on the program today i'll be handing over to jonathan white for his exclusive interview with england's 1966 football world cup hero sir jeff hurst during his professional career sir jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of west ham united and stoke city but most notably he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a world cup competition and that came after his treble in england's 4-2 victory over west germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. And I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. That is coming up next. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me and realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. 
and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it peters i think probably well i was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players i did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of england and west ham and martin peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as martin's concerned i think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. 
And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alpha, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could... Uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before I was I was playing, and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you oh not for me personally no i, I think and i don't uh, not for me not for a second i think mm. i was just happy to be and I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. 
And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh if you, that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to, to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. 
Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and, and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at that, so many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned. 
uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and just opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on with all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and, when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking, if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't? go without in terms of leading a team no matter what that team is single minded single mindedness dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if it's these top managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.